Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. begins, I'd like to introduce him to you. Um, most of you know him, but he has been with us now for three months. He is in the process of uh, pursuing a call to ordained ministry as a priest in the Episcopal Church. Uh, he is he's finished his schooling, and he is now uh, awaiting ordination. So uh, he will be sharing with us the Word of God this morning. Thank you. Please be seated. And to you, those to whom this applies, happy Father's Day. As a father, there are moments in my life that I wish I could relive. And those very moments are the ones I replay in my mind. I remember my son standing on the stage at NU singing and having my Adam's apple swole up. I was so emotional. I remember from the age of three to seven, him not going anywhere without a dinosaur in his hand. I remember, I remember a boy so sweet. And then there are moments I want to forget. I want to wipe them from my memory, especially that five or six days I tried to teach him to drive. <laughs> the boy had something wrong with him. If we'd be driving down the road, he'd have a death grip on the steering wheel. I'd have a death grip on the dashboard. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd say, be careful with that parked car over there. And all I had to do was mention it, and he'd start steering toward the parked car. If there was a car coming our way, I'd say, be careful, there's a car coming our way. And I see him move the wheel toward the car. I think every day I screamed at him. Focus on where you're going, never mind the distractions. Finally, uh, it was a nice, oh, a lovely autumn afternoon. We pulled into our driveway, and I said innocently, Can't watch that, post, uh, watch that uh, mailbox. When he hit the mailbox, <laughs> it's when I decided I was not going to be his driving teacher anymore. The words I said to him, never mind the distractions and focus on where you're going, not only served as my only driving lesson, but pretty good words for his life. And I remembered that phrase today when I learned, I learned that I'd be preaching today is when that phrase came to mind. Uh, because you see, this is a sleepless night before the day. Last night, tossing and turning because it's Trinity Sunday. Today we celebrate and learn about the Holy Trinity. 
And thanks to Thomas Beckett, the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, Trinity Sunday began to be observed in England in the 12th century. And since that time, it has been the absolute favorite Sunday for rectors to hand over their sermon to somebody else. <laughs> Why? What could be more fun than describing and teaching the unteachable and the unknowable? Thank you so much, Father Seth. <laughs> A few years ago, I spent $50 on a weekend seminar on how to do evangelical work. Reach out to people to bring Christ to them. Oh, they had handouts and a binder and a little CD and everything. And we sat down the first day. And as I remember, for almost the entire day, everyone argued about the Holy Trinity. And I think that was the first time that that saying came back to me about mind the distractions, focus on where you're going. Many of you may have heard the story of St. Augustine, the philosopher and theologian. Uh, he was troubled so much, uh, he couldn't get his head around the Holy Trinity. He wanted to know it. It drove him nuts for the longest time. He wanted to, to master the doctrine. He wanted to teach it to the world. One God in three persons. He wanted to be the one who knew, and he couldn't. And even on a troubled day, mind-churning, the sun came out, and he took a walk by the seaside. And what did he see but the most beautiful of sights? A child, a child playing in the sand and the water with a shell. And he watched, and the child took the shell and dug a little hole in the sand, and then walked to the water, and picked up the water, and like a child does, carefully balancing the shell with the water till he got to the hole and put it in. And he did it again. And he did it again. And at some point, Augustus spoke to the child and said, Child, what are you doing? And the child answers, I'm emptying the sea into the hole. And Augustus says, how do you think you can empty that enormous sea into that little hole with that little shell? And the child looked at him and said, and you, how do you suppose that with your small head you can comprehend the immensity of God? <laughs> and then the child disappeared. I'm no expert. I'm no expert on the Trinity. And I can't settle your minds about how one God manifests as three separate entities, yet remains one. And I'm sure that the goal is not to explain the mystery, but to celebrate it. To depend on it without having to fully understand it. I believe that because we're human, our humanity makes us want to have an answer, an explanation. We demand it. We want the big picture. Give me the bottom line. We want the truth. And teachers, in an attempt to explain, will use, and you've heard them all, shamrocks, eggs, uh, water, vapor, and ice. And none of them, none of them explain the Trinity. You're tiptoeing around in heresy when you're doing that. We humans have a thing that makes us want all the... Joe Friday, remember? Just the facts, man. That's what 
we are. We want a complete explanation. We want to fully understand. And any time we go to talk about God, not refer to God, but when we actually try to explain who God is, that's where language and our tiny little brains fail us. One of the, the great moments of my life is having been able to be locked in the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem overnight and to have access to Christ's tomb. I had begged to get in there. I had asked and asked every time I went to the old city of Jerusalem and asked, they politely said no. And on the fourth occasion, with about, I don't know, 25 minutes notice, they said, okay. And I ran in, got a cup of coffee and came back. And as they locked the doors, I realized, until morning, I'm in here. And I was told, Christ too will be available to you for four hours, from 7 to 11 in the evening. And I couldn't conceive of it. Because I had visited there before. And I had spent my 11 seconds in there. And they moved me out. So when I, I was a little bit full of myself, I walked into the tomb, determined to pray about a problem that I had come to Jerusalem for, a question in my life that I had to have answered. And as I walked into the tomb, I didn't have any words. What words do you have as you, as you stand in a sight where civilization changed, where the greatest miracle of the planet happened, where millions upon millions of people have brought their sorrows, their prayers, their troubles, their praise. I confessed my sins, I begged forgiveness, I said the Lord's Prayer. And that was about a minute and a half, and I had four hours to go. What phrases did I have? What could I say that was witty or wise that God would want to hear? I gave up and I shut up. And for four hours I listened. And for four hours I was taught. And I, and I got my answers and I learned my lessons. We are simply human. We are humble, uneven, imperfect human beings. And all of us have had the experience of wanting to say something very significant at a very important time. To tell somebody how important they are to you. Or to tell somebody how deeply sorrowful you feel for them. And the usual phrases come nowhere within reach of what you really wanted to say. The only words you can find are the badly chosen ones, but at that crucial moment you use them. That's all you have. Not to say anything would be worse. You have to say what you can and hope the words point to what you can't really say. As Christians, we attempt to spread the good news. And when we do, we eventually have to talk about God. And because we live in a society that's largely forgotten who God is, it's not going to be easy. A lot of folks think God is a fellow, looks like Santa Claus, sits on a cloud in a big chair. Truly they do. For many, the idea of Jesus as, as God is a concept they've 
do not know. But that doesn't mean that we live in a godless society. Personally, I have a, a feeling we're not very far from a Christian revival. A recent study found that a majority of Americans believe in a God. Now, the God they believe in may not be one we recognize or would even like. But it's amazing that the majority of Americans believe in a higher power. Now, you bring up the name Jesus Christ, and in a, a majority of Americans, a large majority, have nothing but good things to say about Jesus Christ. Great guy. Wonderful historical figure. Good teacher. Man of ethics. Really suffered for his beliefs. Okay. We've covered God and Jesus. How about the Holy Spirit? Well, a majority of people nowadays, when they talk about religion, will say these words to you. Well, I'm not really religious, but I'm very spiritual. Well, the majority of Americans agreed. They will tell you they believe in a spiritual presence of some kind that's around us and guides us or teaches us or chastises us. But no, look what we just said here. A majority believe in a God, in the teachings of Jesus, and in the spiritual presence. And personally, I think that the glass is half full. I pray for the best. As Christians, we can celebrate our belief in God. But God works so seamlessly in our lives. And sometimes we do it and we try to thank God and we struggle to find the words to explain what can't be said. Because it's important to, to talk about God, but it's also important when we talk about God to realize that God and Jesus and Spirit are infinitely more complex than any expert or professor or priest or theologian could ever explain. They have theories, and they write about their theories, and they argue about their theories, but they don't know. We don't know. In the Gospel of John, in the account of the Last Supper, Jesus reassures the disciples, and he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear to hear them. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So let's face it, we're not ready to know all. Any more than the disciples were in that room. It's more than we can comprehend, more than we can understand. It's going to remain a mystery for a very long time to us. When you think about it, would you really want a God that was that simple to understand? Kind of an easygoing guy, you knew everything about him. Or would you rather have a mighty, powerful, mysterious God made more mysterious by our limited understanding. What would thinking about the Holy Trinity be like if we let go of the idea that it's tricky to think about it and it's hard to get our heads around? What if we just relaxed and let God move us and beguile us and enchant us and love us? Focusing your energy on figuring out once and for all how this Holy Spirit thing works is a distraction. And as I said to my son, well, truly, as I yelled to my son, 
on many an occasion, never mind the distractions. Concentrate on where you're going. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.